Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Episode number 182 of the show before the show podcast has arrived. Hello, Sam. Hello, Tyler. Tyler Ron, Sam Dykstra, MILB.com. Uh, welcome. Welcome into this week's edition of the show. Uh, how are things in New York? Things are good. Things are good. They're they're brisk today, which is yeah. nice. Yeah. Uh, sunny and brisk, which is very much Sam Dykstra weather. Um, the second I can start breaking out flannel makes me very happy. That is, that's, uh, that is true. That is very Sam Dykstra. Yeah, we should, we should get out a programming note now. Um, this is the last podcast for two weeks for the two of us because we'll both be oh, on yeah, separate you're going to be gone too. Yeah. I forgot that you're leaving at the same. When do you leave? I leave Friday night. Oh, I feel uh, like such a jerk. You asked me when I left and I was just like telling you about my trip and then you you're you're leaving and i didn't even ask i'm sorry sam i mean i have such an no inconsiderate co-host I'm, I'm always worried about talking too much about my own stuff so i'm yeah. more than happy to we're, we're going to separate uh corners of the globe you're going yeah, to Colombia. continents yeah Damn. i'm going to scotland uh where because I, I have no life i'm going to work you're going on an actual vacation well, you're going to actually travel around afterwards, though, right? Yeah, for, for a few days. I'm going to go. Yeah. I got three days at the end of the trip before I come yeah. back for more work for a different job. <laughs> but, yeah, that's true. Uh, but you get to go. You're going to the U.K. Yes. How long are you going to be gone? You'll be – it's like 10 days, right? Yeah, I'm leaving Friday night, uh, taking a red eye. I'll be there Saturday, and I'm coming back the following Sunday. Very cool. Um, so I'll be in Scotland most of the trip, staring at the glens and the lochs and the – you know, the seas and the uh, open air and all that kind of stuff. How do you stare at the open air? I, I will report back in two weeks. <laughs> I'll probably just be part of the drive. I'm, I'm renting a car, which I'm making sure is an automatic, first off. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a good idea. And I'm going to bring stick It's challenging enough it. driving on yeah. the other side of the road. You don't need to be worrying about figuring out a, a stick shift as well. And you're on the other side of the car. Right. Yeah, that's that's my thing. Is I'm going to bring sticky notes to just line the dashboard, saying "Drive on the left, drive on the left, drive on the left." <laughs> Did you see Todd Van Steensel's tweet the other day? No. Uh, the uh, now former uh, Minnesota Twins uh, reliever Todd Van Steensel, uh, minor league reliever, was he's back in Australia, uh, a Sydney native, a uh, a Western Sydney native. He's a Blacktown native, and uh, and Todd tweeted the other day, "I've been back in uh, in Australia for a week, and I've already had several mini panic attacks thinking I was driving on the wrong side of the road." <laughs> Oh, good. And that's somebody who grew up in that. So I'm going to be. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, enjoy that. Yeah. Have fun with that. Two weeks. (laughs) 
Um, so anyway, that welcome into this week's episode of the show before the show podcast. Uh, yeah, we will be off next week, but we will be back with you the following week. It'll be World Series time. Um, we'll we'll have a whole lot to talk about, uh, and we got a lot to talk about this week, and we'll get into it here in a moment. But thanks for tuning in wherever you found us. You can catch us at milb.com slash podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, everywhere else uh, that you get your shows, and you can give us a rating and a review and a subscription. If you would like, you can get in touch with the show as well, uh, podcast at MILB.com. We got some questions over the last couple of weeks we'll try to get to today. And uh, with that, we'll get started. Uh, strike one, we're back on a, a normal format for three strikes for this week's episode. The Arizona Fall League is well underway. Uh, we're several days in now to the AFL. And uh, Sam, give us your early AFL standouts for the first week or so of play. Yeah, well, it's surprising in that it's not surprising. Um like I, I feel like over a small sample, anything is possible. And, um, you know, I thought we would be talking about some guys who have really taken off in ways that we didn't see during the season. But really the takeaway from this first week plus of the Arizona Fall League is, uh, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is leading the AFL right now in total bases. He's leading in hits. He's leading in average. Uh, he's gone 10 for 18 as of this recording uh, with four doubles, six RBIs in four games. He's walked twice, only struck out once. Uh, you know, Vlad's doing what Vlad was sent there to do, which is just hit the ball a ton. Um, and, you know, over four games, it was possible that he could have gone over 12 and none of us would have been worried. Um, but he's not doing that. He's hitting the ball again. He's making good contact. The videos are all up and down the web uh, anytime he does anything down there. Uh, so that's been really cool to see. But not only him, the, the best pitching prospects down there uh, in the Arizona Fall League this year has also stood out, and that's Forrest Whitley, uh, top 10 overall prospect of you know the Houston Astros pitching for Scottsdale right now. He's made one start uh, so far. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. He's actually scheduled to start tonight's game, um, so check back on that and see how he did in that. But in his opening night, yeah, he gave up two earned runs in three and a third innings, uh, but otherwise was pretty much untouchable. He struck out eight of the 13 batters he faced. Uh, his four-pitch mix is right back. You know, this is a guy who missed a, a good bit of time this year between injuries and, and a suspension for, uh, you know, a drug-related offense. Um, but the fact that he's come back in the way he has without a worry uh, has been really cool to see. Um, and, and, you know, this that's the type of start we were kind of hoping to get out of Whitley. Wanted to see all his four pitches back. His fastball, curveball, slider, and changeup all are at least above average pitches. The curveball and fastball could be plus-plus eventually. That's why people believe in him perhaps more than any other pitching prospect in the game right now uh, that isn't injured currently. You know, your Michael Kopechs, your Brent Honeywells, your Alex Reyes's. Uh, so to see him do that in his first start was really, really cool. And, you know, the way the game is going right now, you need swing and miss stuff. And he certainly has that. Uh, it would have been great had you know the injuries, the suspension not happened. Would he be on that Houston Astros team right now? Uh, Josh James is on the ALCS roster after he had a promising season. So uh, Josh James has kind of taken that Forrest Whitley role that we all expected going into April 2018, or at least before the suspension. Uh, but now he's getting a chance to make up for those innings only through a 26 and a third for double-A Corpus Christi this year. Uh, he won't have many restrictions in his AFL starts other than other people need work, so he's going to have a short leash from that aspect. Um, but really cool to see him stand out in that way and really cool to see Vlad Jr. stand out in his way. Looking back at the last couple of AFLs, who was the standout of 2016 was Glaber Torres. Who was the standout of 2017 was Ronald Acuna Jr. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. 
you know, the top prospect in the game right now, top prospect going to the fall league, uh, stepping right in line with those guys. And we've seen what they were able to do as rookies. Uh, so, you know, Vlad Jr. doing as well as, he, as he's doing uh, gives us every reason to believe he'll be incredibly good when he does get to Toronto, you know, late April, early May next year. It's, uh, you know, I think if you have even the the slightest hesitation of being excited about Vlad, Blue Jays fans, you could probably just let go of that now. Like I think it's <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, you're always going to be scared of an injury and whatever, but you've pretty much got the surest thing right now. It seems in minor league baseball, so uh, you should be pretty pumped about that. Uh, strike two, Arizona Fall League um, always tends to bring us. We've talked about this over the last couple of weeks um, in different contexts uh, from where we are right now with a, a week of games in our belts, but always seems to bring us somebody who arrives on the radar or a team that plays exceedingly well or something that we weren't necessarily expecting so through the first week what has stood out that has surprised you most so far sam yeah and i know i just said uh you know in the last segment the most surprising thing may be what's not surprising but there have been a couple of guys who have again in small samples uh really taken the opportunities that they've been given in the fall league and, and run with them and change some of the storylines we were expecting of them uh, anybody who listened to our kind of afl preview Last week, I mentioned Monte Harrison as being a guy who had a lot to prove coming into the fall league. Uh, you know, he's somebody who led the minor leagues in strikeouts this year. He needs to make more contact because he is a very toolsy, toolsy guy. Uh, you know, the speed is there. The arm is there. He's going to be a really good outfielder. Uh, the power is there when he's making contact. He's got incredible bat speed. It's just he needs to make that contact to make sure, you know, he, he can turn a single into a double or a double into a triple or, uh, you know, hit the ball over the fence because he is capable of probably being a 20 plus homer guy. Um, but if he's not making contact, is he getting the most out of that? Uh, so, you know, the Marlins have mentioned that specifically as being a reason why he stayed in double A Jacksonville. Uh, this whole year and so far in the fall league he's doing exactly that he, he is making more contact uh as of right now he has only struck out once in his first 18 plate appearances yes that's 18 plate appearances it is a small sample but when we are looking for somebody to start doing something this is how that foundation kind of starts uh do i expect that to continue no he's probably gonna you know a good fall league for him would have been only striking out in 20 or 25 percent of his plate appearances i think his guys get to see more of him uh the book will be out on him a little bit more i would expect to, him to swing and miss a little bit more as we get deeper into uh, october and november but you know, getting out to this start has allowed him, you know, making more contact has allowed him to go five for 16. He has a double. Uh, so, you know, he is taking advantage uh, and, you know, probably doing things that the Marlins sent him down there explicitly to do. He's somebody who is up for the rule five draft this year. He needs to be put on the 40 man roster. He's way too good of an athlete, way too good of a baseball player overall to not be protected. And the the Marlins actually just made a couple moves outriding guys off the 40-man roster to make room for somebody like Monte Harrison. Uh, but if he wants to do more than just that going into the spring next year and try to put himself into that Marlins outfield, uh, it, start, it, it, it starts and ends with his ability to make contact, and he's showing that early. Uh, one other one is an outfielder. Uh, if I were to tell you, Tyler, right now who leads the AFL in home runs, would you have any guess? Um, no, not since it, it was an outfielder. It is a Mets prospect. Okay, but it is not Peter Alonso. It is not Peter Alonso, who is tied with many others for second with one. Uh, the only person to have more than one home run in the AFL this year has actually done it in only one game, and that is Mets prospect Desmond Lindsay. 
Huh. Uh, was kind of sent down there. A little bit of a taxi squad member. Like I said, only played one game in the week so far. Uh, only has two hits, but they're both home runs. Uh, Lindsey, every time you talk to somebody in the Mets organization about him, they love him. They love his speed and his potential in the outfield. They think he can be a center fielder. Um, but he has struggled so much to stay healthy in his first couple of years uh, of pro ball. This is one of those cases where it's just a chance for him to make up uh, for lost at bats. He played 90 games this year, uh, which was a career high. He's played, you know, he, he was drafted in the second round, 2015, out of high school in Florida. Uh, so this was his fourth year, and he's still yet to play more than 90 games. Uh, he played 84 of those at Class A Advanced St. Lucie and hit just 218 with three homers. So the fact that he's hit two homers already in the AFL in just one game is really, really surprising. Uh, it kind of reminds me of what Orlando Arcia is doing right now in the playoffs for for the Milwaukee Brewers. I think he has three pro season home runs and he only had three during the regular season. Um, you know, any, again, anything can, crazy can happen in small samples. I'm not saying Desmond Lindsay is going to be a crazy uh, power hitter, but he is somebody who needs to take advantage of these chances that he is going to get in the fall league uh, show that he's more than just an injury prone potential guy. The potential needs to be now for him. Um, you know, like I said, coming off his fourth minor league season next year could be very well a make or break year for him um so if he can generate any type of momentum here in the fall league that'll be huge uh, i'll be interested to see what else is going to happen is he ever going to homer again in the fall league i almost wouldn't bet on it uh i wouldn't bet on him ever homering after you know his career high for home runs is eight which he hit over 65 games last year at class a columbia uh but it, it's really cool to see him do this early and now we're going to be paying more attention to him than we we would have otherwise in a league obviously loaded with power prospects pretty impressive stuff uh from maybe the least likely power person to have put himself on the leaderboard uh, early on in the afl season that brings us to strike three this week sam which is uh three national league stories on organization all-stars either up on the site or coming to the site since we last spoke to you the chicago cubs cincinnati reds colorado rockies will be up there on wednesday we're recording this on tuesday this week um and uh out of those three organizations give us a, a rundown of what you've seen from the cubs and reds which are posted and then i actually wrote the rockies which will be coming up tomorrow yeah, so uh, I'll keep this short. There's just one guy in the Cubs system that is a top 100 prospect, and I feel like he's somebody we should at least touch on uh, that we haven't necessarily so much, um, and that is number 87 overall prospect Miguel Amaya, uh, catcher in the Cubs system, uh, only 19 years old, played, you know, was 19 for this entire year, played at Class A South Bend. The Cubs really like him. Uh, you should read Andrew Batterano's piece on this, and, and it comes across this way, but they really like him. His ability on both sides of the plate, uh, he's got a chance to be a really, really good defender back there. He's got a strong arm. Uh, this year, he threw out, I think, 34% of attempted base dealers. Last year at Class A short season, Eugenie threw out 41%. Uh, both of those are above average, and he's only going to grow into that. Like I said, he's only 19. Uh, but he's showing some some improvements offensively as well. Uh, this year for South Bend, playing the whole year there, 116 games. Uh, hit 256 with a 349 OBP and a 403 slugging. That slugging especially was up last year. He finished with 12 homers uh, and a 752 OPS. Last year, you know, again, they thought he was a strong defender, but he only had a 604 OPS. Uh, so to put that particular stat up by 150 points. Really, really promising. Uh, somebody who got sent to the Futures game this year, uh, obviously somebody the Cubs like and the overall prospect community likes. Uh, so I'll be interested to see what they do with him going forward. Catching is not really an issue 
for the Cubs right now, Wilson Contreras is their locked on catcher of the future and of the present. Obviously he kind of does everything Amaya already, you know, you would hope Amaya could do someday, uh, which is again, is being a good receiver, being a good thrower, uh, hitting for some power. Uh, so they would love for Amaya to turn in, into Contreras, but with Contreras there, they don't need to push him. Uh, they don't need to get aggressive with him, let him hit everywhere he's gone. And, you know, now that he's established this full season foundation, let's see where he can take off in 2019, you know, heading to uh, Class A advance and kind of moving on from there. Uh, so we'll continue to keep an eye on him. He's not somebody we talked about too much this year because he's not going to put up the eye popping stats. Uh, but for being a catcher, a very impressive foundation. And we'll keep look at him especially in a cub system that obviously is kind of in a downtime right now uh, because they have graduated so many guys over the years and they've started making trades uh for other you know big time major leaguers and that's going to deplete your system uh so amaya somebody stands out for the cubs tyler like you said you wrote the rockies um obviously a good year for the rockies making it back to the playoffs making it to the lds but uh in terms of minor league stuff what, what stood out to you in your conversations with zach wilson well, we did get a, a, a question in from uh, Ethan Cullody, who uh, posed this. What's your opinion on Josh Fuentes? He went undrafted, not ranked on the Rockies' top 30 list. He had had two really good years in 2017 and 2018 and one PCL Player of the Year. Um, you'll hear about Josh Fuentes coming up tomorrow. There's a little a little preview for you. By the time this is posted, the story is already going to be up, so I haven't spoiled the fact for you that Josh Fuentes is an organization all-star after his <laughs> uh, PCL MVP season. Um, actually, kind of tough to pick between him and Colton Welker, also third base, um, who won the California League batting title. But Josh Fuente's first taste of AAA was fantastic this season. Um, one guy who I think Rockies fans really should keep an eye on and should be very excited about, um, it's it's not super often that we put short season guys on organization all-stars, um, but the numbers that Grant Levine put up for, for rookie-level Grand Junction this year um, – he was the 42nd overall pick in the draft in June, the highest prep selection ever out of the state of New Hampshire. Grant Levine batted 350, 477, 519 with rookie level Grand Junction. And yes, it's the Pioneer League and it's offensively friendly and whatever, uh, but he walked 45 times, struck out 40. And Zach Wilson told me, quote, I saw a major league approach in an 18 year old's body, and I'm talking now major league approach out of an 18 year old kid. Um, that's, there was some. Very impressive stuff that Zach Wilson had to say about Grant Levine. He's a first base prospect who uh, I think has the potential to climb very, very quickly. And the Rockies obviously have had their struggles at first base uh, really ever since the retirement of Todd Helton, figuring out somebody who can hold down that job um, and and be able to do it effectively. Ian Desmond has not filled that void. Ryan McMahon, uh, who has been a top prospect for the Rockies in recent seasons, is kind of right now floating. He's probably not going to take the third base job if Nolan Arenado gets locked up long term obviously that's not going to happen is he going to be a first baseman is he going to be a second baseman he's worked there Rockies have options there as well um so somebody to, to certainly keep an eye on is Grant Levine, even though he's very, very young. Uh, Brendan Rodgers, a conversation about Brendan Rodgers in there. Um, one guy who I thought had a very interesting season this year, uh, who we've talked about on the show, was Casey Golden, who finished just off of the lead for the Minor League Baseball uh, Bauman Home Run Award this season. But Casey Golden crushed 34 homers for Class A Asheville and uh, a guy who – 
I think the Rockies feel like his bat could really take him anywhere. And if he locks in his approach, um, then they've got a very interesting prospect in him. So uh, there's some intriguing talent in the Rockies organization. I think that's one thing that, that they've done well over the last several years. The Rockies have built a system right now. It's not probably as deep as it was this time three years ago or so, um, but they still have some very interesting and very good pieces that'll contribute to keep this window open uh, for a little while as they continue chasing the uh, the first division title in franchise history. So uh, Rockies organization all-stars up on the site and uh, that'll do it. Well, joining us on this week's the show before the show podcast, the minor league baseball podcast, is Minnesota Twins prospect and current Arizona fall leaguer uh, Griffin Jacks calling to us from Arizona. Uh, Griffin, how are you doing? How's the fall league treating you so far? I'm doing great, Sam. Thanks a lot for having me on the show. Um, I've only been out here about a week or so, but it's been a great experience so far. Um, learning about a lot about myself and how I play the game and just picking up a lot of tools and advice from uh, other players around. So it's a really cool experience. Yeah. And, and at what point did you find out you were going to be going to the fall league? What was that conversation like with the twins and what were they saying? Like, this is why we're sending you here. This is what we want you to work on. Yeah. So the twins told me I was um, coming to this league, I want to say middle of July. Um, so roughly, you know, two or three months in advance. Um, they told me that I fit the profile great because I had missed, you know, an extended amount of time um, from my military obligations. Um, so it took me out of baseball for a little bit, but also that, you know, I had a pretty good year in uh, the Florida State League, and they just really wanted to see me continue to develop um, while getting some extra innings at a high level. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I want to touch on that military experience here in a little bit, but coming off this season, 2018, uh, you threw 87 and two-thirds innings with Class A Advanced Fort Myers, ending it pretty well. You guys won the FSL championship. Uh, what was this season like? You know, that was the most you've thrown at the minor league level so far. So what was it like to put on that many innings? And also, what is it like just to be still pitching now and still adding to your total? Yeah, I mean, uh, just first off, it's a real blessing that I'm able to play baseball um, or to continue playing baseball at this level. Uh, I know my career has kind of been – um, sort of mysterious to a lot, and there's been a lot of unknowns, but uh, the military's been super um, understanding of the position I'm in and uh, has allowed me to enter a position that um, allows me to train for the Olympics since baseball has been um, added back into the uh, Olympic repertoire of sports, I guess. So my position in the military now um, describes me as an Olympic athlete in training, for the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo. So it um, it has now allowed me to re-enter or uh, to continue my baseball career with the Minnesota Twins. So um, with that being said, you know, I didn't really have a whole lot of expectations coming back um, at the beginning of this year. It had really been about a year since I had thrown my last minor league pitch. So for me, I was just, I wanted to get my feet wet again, really wanted to get back in the swing of things. And yeah, I mean, this has been the most amount of pitches and innings I've thrown since really college, which was two years ago. So um, with all that in mind, I didn't really have a whole lot of expectation. I just wanted to get back out there and just get things rolling again. Yeah, and it was a solid season for you. Again, you guys ended up with the championship. You posted a 3.70 ERA, 1.23 whip. Uh, just to get a little bit more into your background, you mentioned, you know, 
being a part of the military. For those who don't know, uh, you went to the Air Force Academy. That's the, the college you represented. You were taken in the third round in 2016. Uh, as of right now, no Air Force Academy player has become a major leaguer. Uh, what is it like playing in that program? You know, as, you go to any college, everybody's focused on whatever their major is, but the Air Force Academy, it's pretty clear everybody's focused on a similar goal. Uh, but you're also playing a sport, potentially becoming a pro in that sport. Uh, what was your time like at the academy and then transitioning that into becoming a professional baseball player? Yeah, I mean, my time at the academy is really unique and some special. Um, it really helped me develop as a person and mature mentally and physically. Um, there's a lot of benefits from going there, and I really did enjoy my time. I get a lot of questions, um, or I did get a lot of questions, especially around the draft before I was picked up. Um, why'd you go to the, the military academy? Why'd you go to Air Force Academy? You know, you got this baseball town, you could have gone anywhere else. But for me, it wasn't all about baseball. It was more of a life choice. Um, the Air Force Academy really helped, like, propel me into a different world uh, than my peers. It gave me a lot more opportunities academically, um and, and just with just with life opportunities i guess so yes i did develop as into a pretty good baseball player but i also want to say like they really developed me into a really good person as well and that's something that a lot of school other schools can't um offer for individuals yeah and uh one of the things about being a part of the air force academy is that you you know, you mentioned now you're training to become an official Olympic athlete, and that's what allowed you to throw so many innings this year, um, being part of a program that's called the, I believe, the World Class Athlete Program. Um, but before that, you had to, you could only really pitch on 60-day leaves. Um, you know, what was that time like? What, what kind of conversations did you have with the Twins of being like, listen, I, you know, I'm more than willing to go pro, but this is the parameters on which you're, under which that can work? Yeah, the Twins have been super understanding with this whole process. Like I said before, um, it's there's been a lot of unknowns and a lot of variables that have been sort of out of both of our controls. Um, so last summer in 2017, when I was um, with Class A Cedar Rapids, after that month, there um, I didn't have an expectation of pitching again until 2019 when I had hit my two-year active duty service. Um, but um, early, or later this year, or sorry, earlier this year, in about January, I heard about this program, the World Class Athlete Program, that allows individuals to up, uh, train for an Olympic sport while representing the military. Um, that came to mind, and I applied for it. Was granted a position within the program, and I let the Twins know as soon as um, I started applying for it. I said, "Listen, it's not a guarantee. I'm applying." I don't want to get your hopes up just in case, but just know that this is a very real possibility. Um, and as soon as I heard uh, in middle of April that I had been accepted, I told them I'm going to be there uh, beginning of May and we can get rolling from there. So I kept them in the loop the entire time and they've been super understanding with, you know, all the different variables within this program and within the military training. So I couldn't be more thankful for their support and their understanding. And they, I guess, excited to get, continue to keep going now yeah no i'm sure they were pumped to get you back in june uh one thing that stands out to me too is your control this year was really really good for somebody who may not even have expected to pitch in, in 2018 you only allowed 15 walks in 87 and two-thirds innings uh were you allowed to be on any kind of throwing program i mean what what were you doing to kind of stay fresh if at all uh while you were you know on you know as as part of the air force yeah, so I mean, I had a I had a 
regular Air Force job. I, I'm considered an acquisitions officer. Um, basically what that means, I'm a small projects manager within the base. For me personally, I was stationed at Cape Canaveral Air Force Station, and our mission there was to support um, local contracting companies like SpaceX, uh, United Launch Alliance, you know, Boeing and Lockheed to send up um, rockets into space. So a pretty cool experience there. Um, but that took up most of my day. When, the, when my time at work was over, I'd go home, you know, go to the gym. Um, and since I didn't at first have an expectation of throwing a baseball until 2019, I really wasn't on a, you know, baseball-specific program. I would, you know, keep my arm fresh. I'd throw once every or a few times a week, but I wasn't off a mound at all. Um, I was just kind of throwing with some buddies and just trying to keep my arm in motion just in case something like this program came up. Um, and then when it finally did, I, I when I went told the twins, they said, okay, this is what we want you to do. This is the kind of program we want you to follow so that when you're ready to go and when you can show up in May, you're ready to go. Yeah, and at what point did you feel like you were ready to, um, you know, or that you were fully locked into where you were as a pitcher, you know, either in your academy days or even, you know, your first couple of years as a pro? How long did that take to feel really settled in because you didn't get a spring training like other people? Right. Yeah, I showed up in um, right when I finished spring training started. And honestly, Slam, it, it was kind of weird. I, I didn't, like I said, I didn't really have uh, high expectations of where my body was going to be, where my mechanics were going to be since it had been, you know, eight, nine months since being in a professional game. But as soon as I showed up, I felt great. I felt fluid. My mechanics were working like they had been, and I didn't really feel any sort of um, struggle on the mound. Uh, like you mentioned, my my walk rate or my con uh, control has always been a plus for me in college. I was the same way. Didn't really have a whole lot of walks um, through the innings pitch, and that's just been sort of my go-to um, every time I'm on the mound is try to limit the you know extra bases I can, I can give up. Um, so it just helps to work to my advantage. One thing I want to talk about too is during your time at the academy as a baseball player, uh, you know, being, I think it's in Colorado Springs, that obviously people who follow minor league baseball know Colorado Springs, the Sky Sox. So it's a pretty extreme hitters environment. I was looking up some stories about you. One had a quote from somebody who called pitching at the Air Force, quote, just brutal conditions for baseball. I think he had given up two home runs all spring, which is literally – pitching at Air Force, which is literally the toughest park to pitch in in college baseball. Um, how did it, that develop you as a pitcher, pitching in that kind of really offensive environment? Because looking at your game now, you are mostly a ground ball pitcher. I think 50% of the batted balls against you this year were ground balls. Uh, how much did that kind of develop you into you know, what you are now as a hurler? Yeah, I think growing up in Colorado as a whole sort of um, propelled me into that position being in that thin air for my high school career and a few years in middle school, it really taught me that balls are going to fly here further than, you know, Texas or Florida, especially. So you might as well learn how to pitch and get the guys to hit on the ground. So, I mean, a hit in the air, it can go 30, 40 feet further than it would in another state, especially at the Air Force Academy. I mean, there were some days where the wind would blow out 20, 30 miles an hour to right, and a kid could hit it off the end of the bat, and what would be a normal pop-up to short right field second base on a normal day would, could be off the wall or it could even go out. So um, there are frustrations like that for sure, 
Um, and those did happen, and there's, there's nothing you could really control about that, but it did really teach you how to pitch. It t- taught me how to throw inside and not be afraid to throw inside because um, I'd get the ball over the plate. The, like I said, it could go a lot further than it would in the other state. So I think all that, all in all, kind of really taught me how to be successful um, in an unfriendly pitcher's environment from an early start. And you mentioned growing up in Colorado. Uh, is that even a thing you guys talk about in high school? Is that like, listen, you you need to be a ground ball pitcher here. Even at, everybody's on the same environment. There's no like you said, you're pitching in college. You could have a tournament in Texas or something like that, and you, right. you're going to see some other environments. But literally everywhere you're going in high school is almost at the same elevation. Uh, is that even a discussion at that level? I mean, it's definitely known. Um, we joke about it all the time, or I, at least I did when I was in high school. You know. Kids could be a way better hitter in Colorado uh, at the high school level than they would be in another state, but I, I don't think it was harped on as much as people think. I mean, it's just a part of the game. Um, and when we went to other states, like you said, to play tournaments, um, yeah, you could tell a little bit of a difference, but it wasn't huge like most people think. Um, so that being said, I, I, it was definitely in the back of your head that, you know, oh, if I make a mistake here, he could hit it a long way. But I wouldn't say it was a, you know, constant thought in my head when I was pitching. Right. All right. So uh, you are in the fall league now. You mentioned, you know, coming in there, um, you know, wanting to see yourself, measure yourself up. Is there anybody you were looking to most, you know, forward to facing as a hitter? Because obviously every lineup there is is basically stacked. Uh, When you saw the rosters that came out a couple months after the Twins told you you were going, who did you kind of circle as saying, like, this is a guy I want to see? Yeah, I mean, I'm probably I'm going to sound a little cliche here, but Vlad Jr. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. I saw him the first day, and he's everything that everybody talks about and more. Uh, just everything he does, he makes the game seem so simple and so easy. And it's just, it's awesome to see that. Um, you know, I've never seen him in person before. I would just see every every night when I would go on Twitter, I would see, oh, minor league baseball tweeting about Vlad Jr., major league baseball saying, oh, when are we going to see Vlad Jr.? And I'm not going to say I got annoyed, but like, oh, man, do they have anything else to talk about? But <laughs> seeing him for the first two days, it really certified that, wow, he is the real deal. And I certainly understand now why everybody talks about him. So if you do get a chance to face him, do you have a plan of attack yet? I mean, <laughs> I guess I'll just do what, what I do to most hitters, just pound them inside and make them – make him uh, work off of that, and then if I can get him back, I'll play a little bit, try to get him chase away. So I'm going to treat him like I would any other hitter, really. And uh, you got to play with two really special hitters this year at Fort Myers there in the second half uh, with Royce Lewis and Alex Kirilov. Uh, like I said, it couldn't have ended any better for you guys as a team winning the championship. What was that team like? And it seems like you guys made it especially a really good run in the second half. Uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, what was the culmination of talent like there at the end with the Miracle? It was just a really special group of kids to play with. Um, the For the most part, the, the kids on the team were players that were in my draft class and had been, I had been around for, you know, around two years. So we already had that special bond. But um, as the season grew and as we got later into the season, you know, everybody just started coming around to each other and really rooting for each other and at the beginning of the season you know the early months I wouldn't say it was clicky but there was definitely some separation within some players of the team you know not everybody was fusing around each other but yeah 
towards um, August, September, everybody was, you know, all buddy-buddy, all for one another. So it was just a really cool environment to play in. It was my first really postseason experience ever since we never made it in college and high school. I mean, I wouldn't really count that as a playoff experience, but it was, re- it was really special and a really cool experience for me, and I know the team really enjoyed it, and just a lot of good memories were made. Whether it was that postseason run or where you are now being put on this kind of spotlight showcase, which is essentially what the fall league is, or going forward, going into next spring when you're actually going to have a spring training, uh, what's a lesson you kind of took from either your time in the academy or actually out in the real world with the Air Force uh, that you, you feel like translates really well to the game of baseball? I just generally, like, you know, you're, there's going to be failure every single day, and it's just how you uh, handle it as a man and how you – um, move on with it for the next day, especially here in the fall league. I mean, these are the best of the best. And if you make a mistake here, it's going to get hit pretty far for me. And if I made a mistake um, during the season, I could get away with some of it. So it's just handling that and being able to learn from it, especially. And I think that just um, translates to the game of baseball as a whole. Now that the Olympics are apparently within your sight, uh, what is what do you expect that experience to be like? And uh, does this like lock you into being part of that team if baseball does come back to the Olympics in 2020? So the, I know the tryouts are next um, off season, and I mean that's definitely an end goal of mine is to while I'm developing with the Twins and playing and the minor leagues, I do uh, want to uh, try and make that Olympic team. I think it'd be a pretty cool story for you know an active duty military member to be on the you know Team USA. So. Um, as for right now, I'm, I'm just worried about this fall league, and we'll uh, we'll take one step at a time. All right, Griffin, we'll we'll end on this one. Um, you are in such a unique position. I don't think anybody out there, you know, at least since maybe the days of like Ted Williams or something like that, has heard of somebody going through this situation in the same way you are. Uh, you know, wh- how do you kind of reflect on the uniqueness of of your specific situation between the program the Air Force is allowing you to go on, and how much do you think? this is a path somebody else could follow, you know, you behind. Like we said, there's never been somebody from the Air Force Academy to play in the major leagues. You could be the first, but do you hope that there could be other others afterwards after you kind of set forth this path? Yeah, Sam, it definitely is a unique um, situation knowing that I am one of only a few uh, military academy graduates to uh, pursue professional baseball dream. But I think that's sort of um, special in its own way because I'm very thankful um, for the military for allowing me to be in this position, to be sort of a recruiter for the military. Um, Allowing me to be in this position really sets me to a higher standard than I normally would be at because I'm at a different level now. I'm on a national stage where kids are coming up to me and asking for my autograph and asking me about my situation. And uh, it just really gives me a platform to really speak highly of the opportunities and the gratefulness that I have towards the military. And um, like you said, that hopefully I can be sort of a, you know, route chaser for others. Um, That's what I really want to do is I really want to inspire others that are, you know, have similar aspirations in the military or maybe that want to join the military that um, need that, you know, extra motivation or that outside push. And hopefully I can be that spokesperson for them and hopefully I can give them that you know, intrinsic motivation they need. So um, at the end of the day, um, I can't express how how thankful and how appreciative I am for the military for allowing me to be in this position. Um, It's not only really helping me develop as a person, but it's doing things for the military as a whole that 
um, can't be expressed in words. And I think between whether it's the AFL or whatever comes next for you, whether that's the Olympics, the Major League Baseball, whatever, uh, or, you know, just being where you are now, I think you are kind of setting forth a, a role model path for a lot of folks out there. And uh, hopefully, you know, you may be the first to come out of the academy, but hopefully not the last. Uh, we'll be following closely for you, Griffin, between the AFL, between everything else that comes uh, going into the spring and next year. And uh, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely, Sam. Thanks again for having me. really appreciate it. Getting toward rebranding season, and Benjamin Hill is here to join us to talk about one uh, team going back to the past. I don't know, sort of back to the future. Hi, Ben. <laughs> hi, Tyler, and hi, Sam. Sitting to my left, we are set up at a desk today yeah. as if it was somebody's office. doing this like it's a meeting, right? Yeah, that's essentially what we're we're doing. Um, ben, thanks for coming in. Yeah, <laughs> and we're here to discuss some very important issues with you today. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, location, and, and there's apartments across the uh, street that we can look into. And I saw like an older man without a shirt on uh, open the window recently, oh, and uh, so stay tuned for more updates. Yeah, yeah. If that happens again, I will update everybody. Cool. It sounds like fun. Um, yeah. Well, uh, my my tease, you know, so good in the podcast biz. Uh, most teams go the route of going with crazy rebrands. Syracuse Chiefs, not going that direction. Uh, a longtime name for the, the team in Syracuse. The new AAA affiliate of the New York Mets, purchased by the New York Mets. Looks as though they will be named the Syracuse Mets. And uh, this has been kind of in the works for a little while from what we've heard. The Mets obviously purchased this team a little while back, um, and we knew – they were going to be the Mets' new AAA affiliate, the Mets uh, moving out of Las Vegas after last season. But give us a rundown on this, Ben. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, Syracuse um, and the Met, the, Met, the New York Mets bought the Syracuse Chiefs um, prior to last season, which led to the uh, unorthodox, maybe unprecedented situation of the Mets owning a farm team that was not their own farm team. The uh, Washington Nationals had one year left on their affiliation agreement. So last year, the Syracuse Chiefs played with uh, while owned by the New York Mets, but while still being a Nats affiliate. Now, here we are in the offseason heading into 2019. The Mets and the Syracuse Chiefs are finally going to be affiliated with, of course, the Mets owning the team. It has long been established that the team, the Chiefs, would change their name now as a result of this new ownership. And, uh, you know, Tyler, as you mentioned, the Chiefs' name goes back to, I believe, 1934 and has been used in various iterations of Syracuse uh, minor league baseball, you know, for over 80 years. So it's a name that's really established with Syracuse specifically. But they are going to change the name now that they are a Mets uh, farm team owned by the Mets. And that name is the Mets. Um, you know, we were talking about this before we went on the air and how it's a, obviously a, a, a fairly rare instance uh, in today's minor league baseball landscape of going away from an original name and towards the parent club. Um, you know, you don't have to look too far to find other examples. You know, when Oklahoma City, I think that's kind of a, an analogous one, the Oklahoma City Redhawks. Uh, AAA in the Pacific Coast League were purchased by the Dodgers and uh, they became the Dodgers in Oklahoma City. Uh, one that maybe made a little more sense from a fan perspective is the South Bend Silver Hawks um, when they became affiliated with the Cubs. You know, since they're playing in Indiana and it was very much Cubs territory, they changed their name to the Cubs. So uh, there is some precedent for this, um, but it is still fairly rare in today's landscape to uh, just adopt the name of the minor league club. Um, obviously, there are a lot of Mets fans in Syracuse because it's it's New York and it's not too far from New York City. But I'm sure there's a lot of Yankees fans as well. And uh, 
as well as a lot of people who are just attached to the Chiefs name. So I think we will, even though this is uh, not a typical move in terms of the name they chose going to the parent club, I think we will see the same gnashing of teeth and uh, negative opinion, at least initially, uh, for people who think the name is boring, who like the like Syracuse but don't like the Mets, uh, whatever the case may be. So well, let's look at that from the other way then. Why do this? I mean, yes, it is the Mets' ownership. Um, you know, they probably just want to put their stamp on it, but why go away from a name that is so tied to the – do the Mets see this in – you know, given what you've seen from other ownership groups of trying to take over a region and try to claim Syracuse, you know, central New York as Mets country, or is it just so simple as – you know, we own this team. We want everything to be consistent throughout the organization, at least in what we own. I mean, I would imagine it's that. Um, you know, we're talking just before right now as uh, we are talking. Well, this will air after the announcement has right. happened, but we're talking just before the announcement is official. Uh, so we haven't heard the official um, ex- explanations yet, and um, I've not been able to get anyone on the phone uh, thus far uh, about the, the impending switch. So... I don't know exactly the rationale, but I, I really think it is as simple as the Mets saying, you know, this is our club. And also, you know, Syracuse has, you know, it, it's one of the older stadiums. They're one of the lower attendance markets. Uh, there had been doubts um, over the years about their viability um, in the city of Syracuse and whether that team would relocate. And the, the Mets buying the team gave them a lot of stability. Um, you know, that, that's a lease that now goes into the 2040s. And, um, I think one of the reasons to go to the Mets is to say, like, not only are we owned by the Mets, but we are here to stay as a minor league baseball entity in the city of Syracuse because that has not been a um, foregone conclusion in recent years. And just to update people, just to provide some numbers to back up what you were saying there, the Syracuse Chiefs were second to last this year in the IL in terms of attendance. Uh, 277,000 people ended up going to Syracuse Chiefs home games this year. It was an average of 4,202. Uh Pretty good for minor league numbers. Triple A numbers, obviously, differing. Yeah, I mean to compare and contrast. You know, Charlotte led the international league with six hundred nineteen thousand. Right. Uh, Indianapolis also had six hundred nineteen thousand, just a few hundred below. And those so, were doubled, essentially. Yeah, the, more the daily than, average attendance. Yeah, more than doubled. So when you're below three hundred thousand in Triple A, that's certainly one of the more underperforming clubs. Uh, Jason Smorold, who's been the GM there the last three years, has done a lot to, you know, inject a lot of energy into the franchise that had been lacking before that under previous ownership. Well, previous ownership was the it was a community owned, but a previous uh, front office regime. Uh, so I do think the um, the team is on the up and up. And I think the front office, even if they're going with a you know rather boring parent club name, I think that you'll still see a lot of the same promotional energy. Or I hope you will. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, with the salt potatoes or salute to the Brannock device night and all sorts of uh, that goofy signature minor league baseball irreverence that we've come to know and perhaps even love. Well, you kind of touched on it there because this move did happen a year ago or a couple months ago at the very least. Uh, the, owner, the, the ownership group is different, but the front office is mostly the same, right? Yeah, I mean, this in, the entire 2018 season, uh, this team was owned by the Mets despite not being a Mets affiliate. Right. And the, and the front office stayed in place and uh, ran the club as they had in previous years. Uh, from an outside observer, it was a, you know, imperceptible, the difference in how they were operating uh, with the previous ownership and now the Mets. Ben, do we know um, that was the only publicly owned minor league team, correct? Syracuse before they were sold to the Mets. Is there any other ownership situation like that? Um, It is increasingly rare. And uh, 
I know there are some others that I am now kind of blanking on. I want to say maybe in the Midwest League, uh, Clinton, I want to say, uh, does it. And maybe Beloit was originally, but but no longer. Um, You do see it. You know, Batavia uh, was community owned. And then as part of their arrangement with Rochester, uh, with the Red Wings operating the club, they assumed more and more of uh, ownership shares of the team. Uh, So you still see it um, not very often, but to the extent you see it in today's landscape, almost entirely uh, at the lower short season, uh, very small market level um, to have it going on uh, at AAA was very rare. And it was an interesting story in Syracuse. I mean, this went back decades and, uh, you know, it was like a real community driven thing. And when the Mets bought the team, there was this whole process where they had to track down stockholders from decades ago and people whose maybe their grandfather had bought it or, you know, were actually getting a little bit of money from uh, from these shares that go back decades. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of an interesting story. Yeah, I remember people who were like completely unaware that somebody in their family owned it and they were basically like next of kin getting money because they at one time were connected with somebody who owns stock in the Syracuse Chiefs. A very interesting situation. There was a, a cool story that was up uh, on the, I believe, the Syracuse paper about that. Um, back when that ownership change went down, you can go find that. Um, but uh, congratulations to the new Syracuse Mets, um, who will uh, assume a new identity for 2019 and beyond. Um, the 2018 season, obviously, in the books, and Ben's got a new best of series that is coming up on the site. Tell us about that. Yeah, you know, October is uh, very much a month in the minor league landscape, very much a month for reflection on the season that just was. Uh, I will give my requisite plug that I still have new blog posts appearing on Ben's Biz blog uh, detailing my travels. I'm in the home stretch with that. And um, starting this week and over the next several weeks, I'm going to do some uh, categorical stories, uh, you know, kind of on my favorite things that I've seen now that I've been to every active ballpark. And so we'll start with um, a story on my favorite ballparks that will run Thursday, the same day this uh, podcast appears. Uh, there's literally no question I get asked more, uh, you know, when I'm on the road, when I talk to people and they find out what you, what I do, you know, what's your favorite ballpark? And it's a very hard question for me to answer. And even writing this, I'm gnashing my teeth because I'm anticipating all the people who are saying, oh, what about this? And what about this? So I'm going to break it down by level, give my favorites, explain why, but, you know, also say this is very much up for debate. I change my own mind on a daily basis. I know other people are going to have their own opinions and I hope uh, it gets people talking. So that'll be the first one. And then uh, moving forward, you know, we'll go from best ballpark overall to, you know, best ballpark views, uh, do one on food, uh, do one probably on between inning contests, you know, just have some fun with this uh, for the rest of October and into November. And you're breaking this down by level, essentially. At least for the best ballpark one, yeah. yeah. I might not do that with some of the other categories. But for best ballpark, I needed some coherence in deciding this. And it's it's one of the reasons it's such a hard question to answer is when people say, what's your favorite minor league ballpark? You know, how do you compare, let's say, Charlotte to Bluefield? You know, yeah. you know it's just two different things. Uh, so I think by level puts it at least a little bit more in context and, uh, you know, makes it a little more coherent. But this is minor league baseball. It is hard to achieve lasting coherence. So if your favorite ballpark is is not there on your list, just assume it's number two. Yeah, point. well, I'll probably throw in some honorable mentions after my okay. favorites, so just assume it's like four or five. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin Hill is on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz there. The blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com, and uh, yeah, it's uh, that's going to be a fun series to check out, and um, we'll have to sort through some of the complaints when you get done, because everybody will be mad that your favorite <laughs> is not <laughs> your favorite. We'll do one of those like Jimmy Kimmel has celebrities read bad tweets. We'll just <laughs> mean, have Ben read mean his bad replies tweets. to Ben's uh, ballpark opinions for some reason. Yes, 
That's true. Go. But, you know, we live in such a benevolent world here in minor league baseball. Oh, yeah. No one's too mean. No. That's true. Every that's once true. in a while you get a jerk, but you say, you know what, jerk, you're in the minority. We don't even have to pay attention. Well, that's what I'm saying. Well, we don't have to pay attention, but we some of the more lighthearted ones will give you a chance to – to air your responses here on right. the and maybe a few that. mean ones as well as, as long as they're articulate and funny go for it <laughs> right <laughs> thanks Ben thank you Tyler thank you Sam and thanks to the shirtless man in the window <laughs> did you really see a shirtless man I had no idea you'll never know Sam I uh, know yeah you just made up this whole thing <laughs> you can keep all that in <laughs> I'm absolutely keeping that all in Final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show. We don't get to tease MILB.TV games for you, so uh, we're going to field another question from an email. Ethan, who submitted the question about Josh Fuentes in our opening segment uh, and three strikes in this week's episode, also posed this question to Sam and I. Quote, to I? No, to Sam and me. That's, there you um, go. Good. <laughs> you self-edited. That was very good. What prospects do you think will affect a team's moves during the offseason in terms of either being a trade ship or or as part of an opening day roster. Um, to dovetail off of a, uh, a conversation piece that we had during Three Strikes, um, as far as tomorrow's organization, All-Stars organization goes, the Colorado Rockies, I don't think Brendan Rodgers is untouchable anymore. Um, the Rockies' top prospect for quite some time now. Uh, Trevor Story established himself as uh, an, an elite-level shortstop this year uh, between his offense, uh, which was MVP-level this season, and plays a terrific shortstop defensively. Um, I think the Rockies are also very happy with Garrett Hampson, um, who they drafted out of Long Beach State and progressed very steadily through the minor leagues uh Hampson can play short he can play second base Ryan McMahon as we noted can play second base as well so the Rockies have middle infield depth um I have not gotten I want to stress I have not gotten this from anybody in the organization uh but I just get the feeling that Brendan Rodgers at one time was somebody who you looked at as completely untouchable and now Rockies have gotten him experience at second base. They've gotten him experience at third base. He's blocked at third base, obviously, at the major league level. Right now, he looks blocked at shortstop, and he's a very, very attractive prospect. Um, I'm not sure if that means that he would be on the docket, but if the Rockies were presented with an opportunity to make a deal and splash, you know, with a, a top level offensive contributor at first base or, or behind the plate or something like that, I don't know if Brendan Rogers is off limits anymore. So maybe that's somebody uh, who could be uh, a part of a conversation as we get toward hot stove season. Right. I doubt it. But I, I'm glad you kind of stressed too, that you usually don't put prospects on the market. That's not usually how it works. Right, right. You don't say like, hey, we're looking to trade exactly. this top five prospect we have. Uh, we but if an organization comes to you and says, okay, we'd be willing to make this deal among major leaguers if you throw in that guy, that's where the conversation begins. Right, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so they might be more willing to say yes to that type of deal. Right. That, everything you said makes sense there. I just want to stress that as well. Uh, one thing that I'll be keeping an eye on this offseason is, you know, we talk so much about the Braves pitching depth and especially at the upper levels, uh, you know, the amount of guys who are prospects right now who made their major league debuts this year. Uh, you know, Mike Soroka, Kyle Wright, Tuki Toussaint, uh, Luis Gohara didn't make his debut, but he was up there as well. 
Colby Allard, Bryce Wilson, um, you know, all these guys knocking on the door. And is this the year they kind of cash in on that? Uh, you know, Max Freed is kind of a swingman role right now. Is he best out of the bullpen? Is he best out of the starter? Maybe they find an organization that really likes Max Freed as a starter and would value him a little bit more than they would at this point. Uh, you know, the Braves, their rebuild got moved up a little bit because of the success they had in 2018. Maybe they look to make a couple moves uh, this offseason. And in doing so, you know, they certainly have the chips to make something really big happen in terms of trade. Um, I'll be really interested to see if they just go with it again, because, again, depth is a good thing. Like you can't have enough depth, especially in, in your rotations and, and in your pitching. If they have to send Colby Allard back to Triple A Gwinnett last year or next year. I don't think they're going to be complaining. That just means they have a really good option as their seventh or eighth best starting pitcher. Um, but, you know, will they do that this year? Uh, I'll be interested to see Alex Anthopoulos uh, another year under the helm as GM. This is his chance to really make a stamp on this organization. Uh, be on the lookout to see what they do there. If this whole group will be back for next year or if they make some some deals for some other bigger names and cash in on some of these guys. One other one I'll mention, speaking of rebuilds, uh, the Chicago White Sox, Michael Kopech making his major league debut this year and then needing Tommy John surgery. Uh, he's not going to be on the block. I don't think that's going to affect anything. But does his injury affect their offseason plans? Uh, you know, if he was looking like he was going to be a potential, you know, rotation member coming in, into next April, uh, would that mean like they would, would be more willing to go for it this offseason now that they know that they're not going to have him basically for all of 2019? Does that mean they get conservative again, uh, you know, going through this offseason? I don't know. We'll have to kind of keep an eye on that as well. Uh, but losing Kopech when he was somebody you were basically building toward, having him, having Eloy Jimenez, having all these other big names that they're bringing up, uh, and we're hoping to arrive on the scene at a similar time. Now losing that piece, what does that do for the White Sox? We'll find out in the months to come. Obviously, the postseason still has to play itself out, and we're not even at the winter meetings yet. Um, but just a couple things to keep an eye on this offseason. Ah, the offseason. I can't believe we're talking about the winter meetings. Although it was snowing <laughs> last week while we were recording the show, so I guess I should stop with my, I can't believe it's so cold. It's already October. I should probably just get off of that train. Um, so that'll do it for this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast, number 182. And a big thanks to Ethan for sending in uh, a couple of questions. He also asked us about the Mobile Bay Bears going to Madison to be the Rocket City Trash Pandas in 2020. Um, that might be the one that has fully jumped the shark for me. Yeah. Rocket yeah, City Trash Pandas. Yeah. I don't even know. Like, it's to the point that I didn't even look up what trash pandas were. <laughs> Nah. I mean, nah. it, it is. It's just raccoons, essentially, is what it is. But um, okay. okay, yeah, we'll we'll see about that in 2020. We don't need to get it too ahead yeah. of that. And, and we'll, talk we'll preview it. I'm sure that's a that's an off season 2019 discussion. I like it. Just getting in early. You right. can send in your future queries as well to podcast at milb.com, and uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of the show. Before the show, off next week. We're sorry. We're going to have to leave you to enjoy the league championship series and the start to the World Series on your lonesome. Sorry. Our apologies. Um, but uh, I think it'll probably be fine. It'll be it'll be fun. Who you got? Who you got coming out of the AL and NL? Uh, uh, I think it's got to be Astros Brewers. Yeah, Just watching the first two games of both of those yeah. series. Uh, well, three games now in the NLDS. 
or an LCS, excuse me. Uh, it just seems like the Brewers just have too many options. And it, when both sides are trading punches, you know, I think the Dodgers are giving it their best shot, although they didn't look great in that Clayton Kershaw start by any means. Uh, it just seems like both the Astros can outlast the Red Sox and the Brewers can outlast the Dodgers in a way that you need to in a seven game series. As much as uh, cranky old men will hate it, um, I think what we are seeing is that if you don't have a dominant bullpen, you're at a significant disadvantage in baseball these days. And uh, the Milwaukee Brewers are showcasing that over the Los Angeles Dodgers. You could just kind of tell over the last few days, Dave Roberts does not feel that great about going to his bullpen. And, uh, you know, if I was Dave Roberts and watched that bullpen all season, I think he's got pretty good reason to be wary of that bullpen. But when you're the Brewers, if you've got a lead through really like four innings, you feel pretty good about locking down wins. And, yeah. Um, just the way the game has changed. And here's the thing about sports. It's okay if they change. You don't have to freak out that starting pitchers aren't going eight innings. It's a different kind of baseball. It doesn't make it any less fun. Let's calm down. Let the kids play. Let the kids play. One thing I will say that I, I am enjoying in terms of bullpen management is Alex yeah. Cora going to his starters, like giving Chris Sale the eighth inning in game so four. You the do ACS. enjoy that. Yeah, and Rick Porcello getting an inning here and there and getting more pumped up than I've ever seen him. Like, okay. if you have good arms, use them when you need them. Get wins That's when you true. can get them, and then yes. you'll sort it all out afterwards. I think Craig Council, didn't he use up like his entire bench and his entire bullpen at one point? Yeah. Uh, he was yeah. gonna have to go to a starter if it, a game went extra innings. Like deal with that deal with the tenth inning when you get there. Don't manage for the tenth inning in the eighth. Here's my question though. If if you're a team in the Boston Red Sox that won hundred and eight games during the regular season, you make it to the playoffs, obviously you've had a pretty strong bullpen. If you're a reliever in that bullpen, all of a sudden instead of you getting into the game, Chris Sale gets into the game in your spot, don't you feel a little slighted by that? Like, you're the one that got the team there. Doesn't that seem a little weird in the postseason? Just be like, nah, you guys aren't good enough anymore. Here's Chris Sale. Well, I mean, I, I think part of that is he is Chris Sale. Like, yeah. you, saying no to Chris Sale is really difficult, uh, especially in a short stint like that. His eighth inning in that game four was really, really good. Um, and the other thing is, like, it, I don't know. It, it, outside of Kimbrell, who has obviously been shaky on his own right this postseason, there just really hasn't been that reliever for the Red Sox that you can say like, yes, I have been dominant. Why not? Why am I not pitching the eight? Uh, they've kind of won in spite of their bullpen, not, uh, you know, or yeah, not because of their bullpen. It, it's been good enough to get there. Uh, the starting has been really good. The offense has been tremendous. Uh, that's how they've been winning ball games, but that's not necessarily going to work in one game series, which essentially what a league championship series is. It's just a series of one game series. How about closers in the playoffs, by the way? How about Jeremy Jeffress? Got the job done last night, but woof. Yes. Yeah. No, that was, it, it's, it's been a heart attack city in the ninth inning, I feel like. Yeah, that is That's true. Night. For everybody, it seems like. Right. Uh, for pretty much every team in the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, we'll uh, we'll be back with you in two weeks. World Series will be in full swing by the time we record uh, two weeks from now. But, hey, man, enjoy the U.K. Enjoy Scotland. Enjoy the locks and the, and the, the fresh air. Yeah, and enjoy Columbia and the, the warm air. That was the other thing I was going to say. Ah, the, uh, the peat. The peat moss. Uh, <laughs> yes, I will be visiting bordering Ireland because they're right next to each other, right? That's, a, that's the thing. Yeah. That's the joke from Seinfeld. They're neighbors. It's fine. <laughs> He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mom. We'll talk to you in two weeks.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 